Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. I'm going to confess something this morning. Uh, when I walked in, I'm like, ooh, it's dark. This is awesome. Uh, intimate worship and things like that. And something that I've learned over the years, and this is just through a lot of mistakes and a lot of just uh, God smacking me over the head over and over again, is that whenever something like this happens that are that's completely out of your control, there's always a purpose behind it. And I, and I share this because uh, I'm realizing more and more that we're not in control and that God is. And you won't realize this fully until some of you who have kids now who are really cute. I mean, I, I just want to squeeze all of them just on their cheeks and I just want to be like, they're so cute. But those cute little babies turn into little monsters as they get a little bit older. And you could raise them in a godly family. We're talking about you praying every single night with them, reading those Bible stories, having dinner with them. And something hits during teenage years that you will no longer be in control. And it's in those moments when you come to that realization like, God, I need you that much more. Uh, There will be sometimes tragedy in the family. Death of a loved one. Or an accident, something that's out of your control. And how we respond, I really believe, is just an indication of what Christ is doing in your life. And I had to learn it, like I said, in many different ways. Uh, one thing that really spoke to me was, many of you know, back in uh, uh, September uh, 11, uh, just one of the worst uh, terrorist attack. When I heard some of these stories of people who got into a fight the night before with their spouse, and they went to work and passed away. When I hear some of these kind of stories, it's kind of very sobering. And then I hear these other stories where people missed their alarm. They didn't wake up, so they didn't go to work. They worked on the 80th-some tower, or in the 80th-some floor of that tower. And just things like that that are totally out of your control, you just think to yourself, like, God, why? Why? And I don't know, like I said, maybe this is good. So if you're falling asleep, I won't see you. So maybe that's God's way of trying to. (laughs) But uh, all I can say is that, uh, I don't know, as we're worshiping this morning. Thank you. Let's let's thank the worship team. Amen. That was was a great time of worship this morning, even last night. And I just really feel like maybe this is what God wants. Because we're going to be talking about worship. And oftentimes when the light is so bright, we kind of get very self-conscious. But when it's a little bit dimmer and it's a little bit darker, that you won't be so distracted with things around you. And so God has his way, so we believe that. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Praise God. All I can say is last night, y'all, some of y'all are crazy. You guys are crazy. Because as I was walking back, uh, with Ed, we were just walking back. And then some of these people, we heard like a noise. It sounded like a party. And as we were walking towards, they go, Pastor Seth, do you want a burrito? And I'm like, what? You know, and it's like I looked at my watch. It was almost like 11, 11, 10 or so. I'm like, man, you guys are crazy. But I'm like, this is good. I, I like this church, you know. They know how to have fun. Maybe because you're a pastor. But anyway, they know how to have fun. And this is great. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't. You know how the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm like, no, I shouldn't. But I'm like, okay. And then this uh, one sister came up and she goes, don't forget the hot sauce. This is the best. The hot sauce that actually cleans up pennies and stuff. So anyway, so I got the hot sauce and I went into my room last night and I was looking at the burrito. I'm like, I should not. But I did, and it was great. <laughs> so thank you for that little party that some of you uh, had last night and giving me the burrito. So praise the Lord. Amen. God, I, I'm excited for today. I know there's going to be a lot of different things going on, and especially with the power outage, and we're going to believe that it, it's going to get fixed soon. But I think this is great just to be able to talk about worship. Last night we talked about being recharged through our prayers, 
And as we lift up prayers that are based on the love of God and understanding the love of God, how it can transform your life. I want to talk about this morning how we can be recharged through our worship. And I want to talk a little bit about not just singing, but just our whole life being a worship unto God and how that recharges us as we live this life through all the difficulties and all the struggles and everything that we go through, that God can recharge us in that way. So if you have your a Bible, um, it's great. Your face, uh, faces are going to light up uh, as you check your phone there. But uh, if, if you just have a regular Bible, it's okay. I, I'm going to read the passage for us. But Isaiah chapter 6, I'm going to look at eight verses. And this is a passage that many of you are familiar with. But I want to kind of look at it from the angle of what we're talking about in our theme of being recharged through our worship. So just, just turn to it, have it open, and we're going to be looking at it. And I wanted to start off by asking a question. I'm, I'm wondering, when was the last time where you were really engaged in worship? And I want to talk about worship in the context of just a corporate gathering where we're singing these songs to God. And their eyes, our eyes were fixed on Jesus and Jesus alone, not about the band, not about the people around us. And I think for some of us, we have to go way back. <laughs> That's why I love this retreat. We have, I have people around my age. I feel so good, you know. And just to go way back and to that time when we were in high school maybe or even in college. We could remember those times of worship where God met us. He spoke to us as we're singing these songs. They were not just words that we saw on the screen, but they were actually prayers that were coming out of our hearts and in our lives. And we're saying, yeah, God, this is you. This is who you are. We worship you. We magnify you. How great you are. We're singing these songs and focused on him. And if you think back to some of those times, you realize that nothing else mattered in that moment. Except for just you and your, your relationship with God and just who he is. And everything just seemed to kind of fade away. Everything began to grow dim in light of his glorious grace. And I'm sharing this because I'm wondering how many of us, if you could think back to those moments, you realize that you were creative to worship. You were created to give worship. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to show you this quick video. And then afterwards, I'm going to have us uh, just share our thoughts, our just initial thoughts. I'm, I'm sure it could be, there might be some positive thoughts on or negative thoughts or whatever thoughts you have. I want you to share uh, just very briefly with somebody really next to you really quickly just your initial thoughts on this. And pretty much it's a worship gathering that this one church in Charlotte, North Carolina had. And they were gathered together almost like a stadium-like. And they were just worshiping God. And so I wanted us to just really quickly, just for a couple minutes, uh, a clip of that worship service that they had. So can we watch that together?
Uh, can you just turn to one other person next to you and just share some thoughts? Like, what did you feel? Like I said, it, it could be both positive and negative. It doesn't, just your initial reaction to that. Will you just do that? I'm going to give you one minute, so that's 30 seconds each. Go ahead and share. Hey, switch if you haven't. Okay. I'm just going to take a guess here. And in a group this size with so many different backgrounds, I think for some of us, we might have been thinking, wow, I want to be a part of that. That sounds so exciting. I think some of us were like, uh, that's too much hype. Uh, it's, it's, I, I like more of the meditative worship where it's quiet and it's just quiet. Just me and God. And then you always have the self-righteous people, always. That is so secular. It's so much like a concert. Now, if you said that to somebody next year, please, don't. I'm not judging you. God is judging. No, I'm kidding. I'm just totally joking. Somebody like, oh, this is too much like a concert. You know, it's too showy and all that kind of stuff. But let me just say this. Regardless of how you felt, I think the bigger question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we able to worship Jesus both individually and corporately no matter what we're going through in our lives. I think so many of our struggles and problems in life comes from the fact that we focus our eyes, we fix our eyes on the situation, the circumstance, the people around us rather than focusing on Jesus. Now, let me just make it clear as I was trying to mention it earlier that it's important to note that worship is not just about singing. It's not just about this. In fact, the word worship in the biblical language also means to work or to serve. And so therefore, worship entails how we live out our calling in our workplace and in our family life and even our recreational life. And how we live our lives, that is a worship unto God. And so we need to recapture this heart of worship on focusing on the greatness of God. So that it could really transform the things around us. The way we see things. Our perspective on things. I love what John Orbrick said in his book. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. By the way, it's a great book. If you want to read a book for this summer. Listen to what he writes. He says this. We worship God not so much because he needs it. But because we do. I need to worship because without it, I can forget that I have a big God beside me. And live in fear. I need, worship, I need to worship because without it, I can forget his calling and begin to live in a spirit of self-preoccupation. I need to worship because without it, I lose a sense of wonder and gratitude and plod through life with blinders on. I need worship because my natural tendency is towards self-reliance and stubborn independence. How true it is for all of us, every single day, every morning, moment and every morning that we wake up every afternoon every evening and the nighttime we need to have this heart of worship so let me give us the one thing for us to remember is simply this beholding the worthiness of God increases our openness to God that when we begin to behold the greatness of God and who he is and how worthy he is it begins to increase our openness to him, and the things that he can do in our lives. So I want to highlight two things here as we look at Isaiah chapter 6, a very familiar passage, but with this idea of beholding the worthiness of God so that 
there will be an increase in our openness to God. The first point that I want to mention here is that we must recognize God's presence. We, we must recognize God's presence. Let me go ahead and read Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to be reading it from the ESV. And if you don't have a Bible, you could just kind of listen or you could follow along in your Bible. It says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Let me go ahead and just uh, expound on this a little bit as we talk about how we have to recognize God's presence in our lives. In verse 1, we get a, a brief context of this passage when Isaiah states that it was in the year of King Uzziah when he passed away, when he died. The Israelite people, as some of you know, were divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. And King Uzziah was a king of Judah. Now, one thing you have to understand, he reigned for almost 52 years. And during his time of reign, there was a lot of peace and prosperity. And during this reign, as there, were, there was peace and prosperity, the, one of the things you have to realize is there was a, a, there was a period of expansion. Like They were growing. And there was a lot of achievement. A lot of things happened during this time. So this is a time where it was like an economic boom. You wanted to be during, in this period of time. But the problem was that the people were living in sin and their hearts were far away from God. This is very important to understand. Sometimes we just read a passage without understanding the whole context and we miss some of the important things that God is trying to speak to us about. So once again, there was prosperity, there was peace, but the people of God, they were living with sin and their hearts were so far away from God. In 2 Kings chapter 15, verse 3 to 5, uh, it talks about this. And in the New Living Translation, once again, when you see the yellow bowl type, can you read it with me? Get that person warmed up, okay? On the yellow, read, all right? Here we go. And this is what the word of God says. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his father Amaziah had done. But he did not destroy the pagan shrines, and the people still offer sacrifices and burn incense there. The Lord struck the king with leprosy, which lasted until the day he died. He lived in isolation in a separate house. The king's son, Jotham, was put in charge of the royal palace, and he governed the people of the land. So from Second Kings chapter 15, we get a little bit more context of what was happening during this time. And so we see here that even though God was blessing them with prosperity and there was peace in the land, that they were worshiping these pagan gods in these pagan shrines, and they were offering sacrifices and burning incense to another god. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when you read the Bible, it just seems so unfair. Like, why would God strike this man with leprosy just because of just other people's sin? But when you read 2 Chronicles verse 26, chapter 26, verse 16 through 19, you get, a further, you get further insights that it wasn't just the people who were worshiping, but you'll see the sin of even King Uzziah. Let me go ahead and read that for you. In the New Living Translation, in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 16 through 19, it says this. But when he had become powerful, he's talking about King Uzziah. He also became proud, which led to his downfall. He sinned against the Lord, his God, by entering the sanctuary of the Lord's temple and personally burning incense on the incense altar. As Uriah the high priest went in after him with 80 other priests of the Lord, with all brave men, they confronted King Uzziah and said, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is the work of the priest alone, the descendants of Aaron, who are set apart for this work. 
Get out of the sanctuary, for you have sinned. The Lord God will not honor you for this. Uzziah, who was holding an incense burner, became furious. But as he was standing there, raging at the priest before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy suddenly broke out on his forehead. Ah, we get now more insights into why he ended up getting leprosy. I think from this situation, we notice that there was a gradual and deepening spiritual decline. And they didn't even realize it. Even though the Israelite people prospered materially, they were decaying spiritually. The success and the prosperity were all facades to cover up the sin and just their waywardness in their hearts. I think in many ways the situation with the Israelites and King Uzziah described the condition and the situation of our own lives. I'm wondering how often in the midst of success and prosperity we forget about God and we start to depend on ourselves rather than him. As if we're the ones who got that job. We're the ones who made this money. We're the ones who made ourselves successful. I'm wondering how often in our rebellion against God, we tend to just give in to our sinful nature. I'm entitled to this. I deserve this. And that's why it's important, as I've just expounded on the context of this passage, it is in this desperate situation and condition that the prophet Isaiah had this encounter with God and his presence, God's presence in the temple. Let me just highlight a couple things as we read verses 1 through 4. There are a couple things we notice about this encounter. We see this sight of preeminence, that he actually saw the preeminence of God. Now, we see as we have read that the vision of God being seated upon the throne, high and lifted up, and it says the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, it's important to note that he didn't actually see God, the very essence of God, but rather it was a vision because no one can see God and live. We see this in Exodus chapter 33, verse 18. It says, but you may not look directly at my face or no one may see me and live. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 talks about that as well. You who alone has immortality, who dwells in the unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. So it's not that he saw the very essence of God, but it was a vision of God. And this image of God sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, conveys this idea of majesty and how God is positioned higher than anything or anyone else in this world. Because I work on many college campuses, one of the things I realize is that there are a lot of these young people who come out of high school and many of them, from some of them are from China. And you have to understand with the 1.3 billion people, some of these Students who actually come into some of the good universities in Hong Kong, they are the top of the top of the top. Because just alone in their province, we're talking about millions, hundreds of millions of people, and then narrow it down to a city. And so you have to be the top in your district, in your city, with in Shanghai is almost 23 million people alone. You have to be some of the top students amongst all those millions, and that even in the province where there's hundreds of millions, and that's how some of them come to Hong Kong on a scholarship. And so they've never learned how to rely upon anyone else but themselves. And they position themselves as they're the best. And that's why it's, it's awesome having some conversations when they go through things that are out of their control and they realize that maybe there's something higher than them. So God being seated on the throne, high and exalted, lifted up, it's a, it's a sign, it's a symbol of majesty that he's positioned higher than anyone else in this world. It talks about his royalty when we read about the train of his robe. I don't know how many of you, when you got married, ladies, uh, how long your train on that robe was, or your gown, but now it looks really gaudy if it's too long. But I want to show to you uh, the Guinness World Record. Let me just kind of uh, give the information first before we see the picture. 
the Guinness World Record of the world's longest wedding dress, the wedding dress train, was happened in France. And I just, just, just to help you to, on this, this is the Guinness World Record, so it's not an average person, so they wanted to beat the record. Do you know how long it was? Praise the Lord. Yeah, you could just leave it like right about here. This is good. Now you have to wake up. <laughs> that wedding dress, dress, the train of that dress, the gown, is 8,095 meters long. Now, those of you, I know America don't like to use the metric system. We're the only country that doesn't use the metric system. I have to switch to Celsius. I have to switch to uh, meters. Let me just translate it for you Americans. It, it is five miles long. <laughs> you don't believe me. So I'm going to go ahead and show a picture. Can we show the picture here, the first picture? So this is the dress, and they had to, like, loop it. Look at how many times they looped it around uh, these things just to kind of hold the dress. Now, that doesn't really show you the magnitude. Let me show you the next picture. And so this is in France, and here she is, and they actually took out her dress, and they just sprawled it out. Now, even this picture alone does not describe the magnitude of how big this train is. So here's the next picture. She is on an air balloon, a hot air balloon, and look how far it goes all the way over there. That's how long. And she beat the Guinness world record. I'm showing this because just think about the train of God's glory just filling up the temple. I mean, it just filled up the whole place. I'm wondering when was the last time you worshiped God with this understanding of God's majesty? And how many times have we worshiped with the understanding of his reign over our lives? I'm wondering, is God preeminent in your life? Or are there other things or other people that take first place? Not only the sight of this preeminence, but you'll notice here the sound of praise. In verse 2, there is this vision of the seraphim. And a seraph was an angelic being. And it has this connotation. If you study that word, it means to burn. So these flaming angels, I don't know if you want to look at it, it's like these, these fiery angels with these six wings. And these burning angelic beings cover their faces and their feet because they were in the presence of a holy God who deserved all the worship. So what were they doing? They were worshiping God by calling out to one another in a very antiphonal way. That means they would say something and then the other angels will say something back and they will go back and forth. And they will be holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a, 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 just the sound of people in an antiphonal way shouting back and forth to one another. Now, uh, it was great last night. We had a little mini uh, University of Michigan and kind of uh, hang out here up in the front. And I, I, I know, let me just say, I, I know that some of you are really hypersensitive about this because there are a couple people who are like Michigan Wolverine, like fanatics. You know, th that's where you get the word fan. They're just fanatics. So they're always wearing Michigan gear outside of work. Now, I would not be surprised if they wear Michigan underwear, but we don't know, you know. So all I can say is they're Michigan fanatics. And I would also have to com uh, confess that I really didn't get it when I first arrived to Michigan to start the church uh, along with my wife back in 1996. But I remember the first time we got there, we were planning out for some kind of outreach to reach out to the students. And we decided to have it on Saturday uh, afternoon around like lunchtime. And I remember these guys who started the church with me. They go, Pastor, uh, can I share, can we share something with you? I'm like, yeah, yeah. They're like, I don't think you want to do that. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, uh, Saturday in, around the lunchtime, uh, there's a, something called a Michigan football game. And the whole city goes to that. And the whole city watches that. 
Now, I'm coming from the University of Illinois. Anybody? Okay, you guys, are, you guys are not like that. You guys are like, oh my God, University of Illinois. But anyway, uh, I went to the University of Illinois, and the sports program wasn't that great. So I'm just like, who cares? Like, what's the big deal? So, so I said, no, guys, I'm the pastor. Listen to me. The preeminent sitting high above on the throne. So I said, we are going to have this gathering, this, this outreach. And then we had this outreach. And it was so awesomely humbling. No one showed up. And some of the guys who did show up, they were grumbling. Oh, we have to be here. And I remember when after that, I'm like, okay, from now on, we are planning nothing on Saturday afternoon. And I I just want to show you there is something, the Michigan Stadium. It it is one of those incredible sites. So let me just show you the first picture. Uh, kind of, it's dug into the ground, and guess how many people it holds? It holds roughly about 110,000 people. I, I could not believe it. Like, I'm, I'm in a place where there's 110,000 people gathered together. It's the largest worship gathering on this side of the globe. And it is incredible when you see just the magnitude and the size of this. Now, here's another picture that I want you to look at. This picture was taken in 2011. This was against uh, Notre Dame. This was the first football game under the lights in the history of the University of Michigan. So it was a big game. We won, by the way, or Michigan won, okay? And we're talking about every single yellow dot that you see is a person. And those who have green, they're like, boo. But anyway, uh, literally, this is 110, I think it was 112. It beat the record. It had so many people. And so one of the things that they do on the stadium, and so just so that those of you who don't know anything about Michigan or maybe you want to close your eyes and close your ear because you hate Michigan because there's a couple of people who are always wearing Michigan stuff. But anyway, they have this thing where they say, go blue. Uh, and so... During the football game, they'll be like, go. And then the other side will say, blue. And then go. And then blue. And just sitting in that place and hearing that, it is so loud. I mean, I'm telling you, it was, it was loud. So just to bring you in on this experience, I want to show you a 14-second, really short clip of them actually doing go blue i didn't take this it was on the internet because i had to find it but let's watch this together So whenever people say, (laughs) crazy guys. So whenever you see people say, well, in church, you have to lift up your hands and shout and clap. You just show them this. Uh, (laughs) And all I can say is that this antiphonal back and forth was happening in this temple. Now, one of the things you have to notice is that the word holy is mentioned three times. And it is used in the term of something being supreme or ultimate. So declaring out holy three times, it shows that God is the most holy and beyond human expression. And in verse 4, we see that seraphs were shouting out their praises to God, and the whole place shook, and the smoke filled the temple. Now, this is another reminder of God's great presence and his great power. Exodus chapter 19, verse 18 says, All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke. We're going to get this one time. Okay, let me, okay. I should put a little note here. Warm them up. Okay. And the yellow. I know this is hard because you guys have probably never done this before, but I just like some congregational interaction. All right. So all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kill and mountain shook violently. So even then, the Israelite people felt the presence of God when there's smoke and there's shaking 
Even the mountains shook. How would you have responded if you were in a room and experienced this kind of manifested presence of God? I think the more we come to know God, the more we'll be drawn and yearn for his presence. I remember during uh, my seminary years here in Chicago, going to Trinity, uh, it, it was difficult working at the church, not because of the people or anything. It was just long hours. Uh, if you total up everything, just on the weekends, from Friday afternoon, sat all day Saturday, and all day Sunday. And the problem was, in the youth group that I was serving at, they had a gym. So you're playing basketball, and it's great. And then by the time you drive all the kids home, I'm getting home around 9 uh, or just 10 o'clock at night, and I'm exhausted. I'm putting in almost 50-some hours just on the weekends alone. And I remember I was struggling after the first year and towards my second year. And as second year started, I just, I was completely burnt out. And I just felt as if I was reading the Bible, I was studying the Bible for class, but I just felt like God was not there. And in the midst of that, I decided during spring break that I'm just going to go away. And I heard so often by people saying, go to the Grand Canyon, you will meet God. So I'm like, I'm going to go to the Grand Canyon. But I only had six days, or five actually, five and a half. So I was just kind of thinking, okay. So I started mapping it out. And I said, okay, it's going to take me almost three days to get there. And then three days to come back if I drive. So I'm like, I would have just drove to Grand Canyon and just drove right back. So I was like, okay, what's the next best place? And so I decided to go to the Rocky Mountains. Because, you know, God usually meets people in the mountains. So I said, okay, I'm going to go to the mountains and so I ended up driving just by myself. And just back then we had a CD player. Come on now. And we were just, I was just driving by myself. And I was just driving on, this, on the highway heading towards the Rocky Mountains. And I was getting tired halfway. I think it was Nebraska or somewhere around there. And I pulled into a rest station. And I just remember just kind of pouring out. I was listening to some songs, you know oldies and I was listening to some of these songs and just I just started pouring out my heart to God and it was one of those moments that sometimes you might not see this train filling the temple or uh, just the seraphs flying around but all I can say is that as I was pouring out my heart from a distance it might have been probably several uh, miles away because you're supposed to listen for the thunder and then watch the lighting uh, lightning and as I was looking out, it was an incredible light show that God displayed. Because it wasn't raining where I was, but in a distance, all this flashing lightning before me. And in that moment, I just felt like God was there. And I realized that sometimes God doesn't have to show up in this incredible big way. But in little things, even through nature like that, God was reminding me that his presence was real, that he was there. How about us this morning? When was the last time you had this kind of encounter with God? Or just recognize his presence in your life? I'm wondering if this is something that we're longing for, especially during the trials of our lives. That's why as we talk about how we must recognize his presence, this is one of the key things that we need to experience and we need to go through. The second and last point as I close out here is that we must not only recognize God's presence, but we must respond to his presence. Respond to God's presence. Let me go ahead and finish off here in verse 5 through 7. It says this. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the thongs of the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. As we look at this passage, the vision of God's holiness that we see earlier, Isaiah began to see his sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people around him. He says, Woe is me, for I am lost. In other translation, it says, it's all over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man. In the NIV, it says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. See, in the midst of this realization, this coal from the altar of God came and touched his lips and purified him. 
And it says here that the guilt was taken away and his sins were atoned for. There is something powerful. I think all of us can agree when we know we messed up, but we are forgiven. Can I get an amen from all the husbands in this room? I'm telling you right now, there are many times where you just know you messed up. Don't forget to do the dishes. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, I got it. And then you just happened to watch ESPN and something happened. You fell asleep. Next morning, Christina's like, you didn't do the dishes. And it's just like, and sometimes she doesn't even say anything. She just kind of walks by. She just looks at you and just walks by. I'd rather have her beat me up, but that look, you know what I'm talking about, that, that look. Come on, brothers, you know what I'm talking about. And you just know you messed up. You were supposed to buy the milk for your kids, but you forgot. You know, you, you, just, you just messed it up. And it's in that moment when you know that you deserve the wrath of your wife. You're just like, oh, man. Because she needs it, she's mentioned it. But then she forgives you. I'm telling you right now, I, 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 could, I could do a triathlon right there. I'm, I'm ready to go. Like, I want to serve. I want to do everything possible to try to make it up, if you will. But just knowing that she was gracious and she forgave you. That alone just motivates you. And as I think about that, I realize, wow, this is, this is our encounter with God. When we know that his wrath should be upon us. But he loves us. He has forgiven us chance after chance over and over again. And that's when Isaiah probably realized that no one was worthy to serve God. Let alone be in his presence. But after God cleansing him. He knows that only by his grace. That he can do anything. And that is the same for us. That's why we talked about last night. When you understand when you're grounded in his love. And growing in his love. That's when you're going to realize that everything that we do is just a response of just his goodness to us. I think this is what happened to Apostle Peter. If you remember the encounter with Jesus in Galilee, after catching nothing throughout the night, Peter was doubtful. But Jesus told him to cast his nets in, into the sea once again. And what happened, and you know the story, he caught a whole net full of fish. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, I'm going to read it from the message translation. It says this, Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I am a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. Just the presence of God. But Jesus did not leave Peter alone. That's the beautiful, this is the gospel. Jesus gave Peter a new purpose and a new calling. And that's why in Luke chapter 5 verse 10, it says, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. This is the power of the gospel message. That we cannot clean ourselves up and try to be worthy so we can serve God. But we are unworthy. But it is Jesus who purifies us and gives us the privilege to serve him. I love what R.C. Sproul said in his book, The Holiness of God. He writes this, when we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of his holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and hopelessness. Helpless sinners can survive only by grace. Our strength is futile in itself. We are spiritually uh, impotent without the assistance of a merciful God. See, the more we understand the holiness of God, who he is, recognizing his presence, the more we're going to be able to respond because it's God who works in our lives. And then in verse 8, the verse that many of you know so well, and it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. We notice that God asks two questions. Whom shall, we, who, whom shall I send and who will go for us? From these two questions, we see the need for a response and a need for a representative. You know, I was thinking about this and I realized God could have chose anybody. Any of these angelic beings to carry out his mission on this earth. But God was looking for a person who would respond and go willingly. And the person who would respond will become an ambassador of the king, of kings and the Lord of lords. 
I think with these two questions, Isaiah answers God simply with these five words. Here I am. Send me. I think one thing we have to note is that Isaiah didn't know all that was going to be entailed in being God's representative, but he decided to be available to God. And I'm getting more and more uh, understanding of this because sometimes God calls us to step out in faith, but we don't know what's ahead of us. That's pretty much what happened for us after serving 19 years and almost 20 years uh, at the University of Michigan. And, and God was calling us to go to Hong Kong. I mean, I remember some of uh, my mentors saying, uh, I don't know if that's the best move. Because why don't you just stay, put your family there, and you can go there maybe every three months. And I just didn't feel like that's what God wanted us to do. Uh, even though I respected my mentors and all the people who were giving me advice, I just felt that God was calling us to move out there in faith. And some people, and my parents, and uh, just other people were saying, you're crazy because you've invested 20 years of your life here. All the fruits, everything's stable. But even in the midst of that, I just felt God tugging us to go. And I realized that we didn't know what was ahead of us. But God did. And all my fears and all my anxiety, all my hesitation, that God answered every single one. And Isaiah's response, I believe, here my send me, was linked to what he experienced in verses 1 through 7. Henry Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, writes this, If you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. It will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you are not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. How about us? Do you have this greater sense of gratitude for all that Christ has done for you? Are you willing and resolved to respond to God no matter what he asks of you? Maybe he'll speak to you at this retreat of something that you have to step out in faith. That's why I really believe that the story is about the gospel. That we were created to worship God. But in our sinfulness, we rather worship ourselves or other people or other things. And what that has happened, what it has caused is that it has caused us to be separated from God. But God in his great mercy and his love for us, knowing that our our tendency and the propensity of our hearts is to worship so many other things, he came and he revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross demonstrated his love for us so that as we put our faith and trust in him, that we have eternal life. And it is in this gospel message that now we respond to him and say, God, I am forever indebted to you and here's my life. And that's why we worship him. Whether it's corporately like this or even in our workplace, with our families, everything we do is for him so that he will be exalted and magnified. So the one thing, once again, is beholding the worthiness of God increases our openness to God. May our hearts open more and more as we see who he is, and may he work in our lives as this retreat. That's why some next steps really quickly as I close here is, first of all, treasure Christ above everything else in our lives. Treasure him. Get to know him. Lift him up, enjoy him, knowing who he is. And this is the best context in a retreat when you're away from all the craziness of your life just to get away and to be in his presence. Secondly, thank God daily. That's, that's a practice that I want to continue to do in my life and I've been encouraging our church members. Just thank God daily. As you begin to do that, you realize that you're so undeserving, but he is so gracious. And third and lastly, take small steps of obedience. Really small steps. Because before, as a lot of us, we think, oh, that means we have to move to another country and do missions and do it. No. Every single day, there's little steps of obedience that we can take. And when you take those little steps, it's going to mount up to bigger steps. And God will lead you and call you to do other things. I pray that we will behold the worthiness of God so that in our hearts, there will be a greater openness to who he is and what he wants us to do. Can I ask us uh, just to stand as we close in prayer? And then I'm going to have uh, Pastor Dave uh, lead us uh, in a time of prayer here. And we'll do the same thing. I think we're going to have small groups afterwards. 
And then after the small groups, we'll come back and worship a little bit more. And I pray that we'll have this heart of worship as we come before God. So let me just pray for us. And then Pastor Dave will lead us in this time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just who you are. You are a good father. You love us in spite of who we are, in spite of all the things that we have done. I just pray that we'll recognize your presence, that you're always with us. You have never left us nor forsaken us. You love us, Lord, even in our worst times. And all we can say to that is thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience with us. And we're just asking, Lord, that we will not only get a glimpse and just recognize your presence in our lives, but we'll be able to respond to you. Lord, what can we do as you've told us even in your word in view of all of your mercies to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you? For this is our spiritual act of worship. I pray that the way we live our lives will be a worship unto you. Not just in song, not just in lifting up these praises, but Lord, our whole lives, everything that we do, may it exalt you, may it lift you up high above. So I just pray, Lord, that you'll speak to us, Lord, even this morning of different areas of our lives that we need to surrender, different things, Lord, that we need to pray and depend on you. Forgive us for worshiping so many other things besides you. And we just confess that there is none beside you. There's no one like you. So come, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Work in us. I want to just give you a moment just to spend this time with the Lord, if you can, just briefly, as Pastor Dave comes up. And before you pray, why don't you just listen? What is he speaking to you about? And just kind of let it marinate in your heart. Just let it sit there for a little bit. Because it's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, It's not the speaker. It's not the band. It's not anyone else. It's the Holy Spirit has to speak into your heart. And then by His grace, we have to have the enablement of the Spirit to obey. And when we do, we'll see so many great things for the glory of God. So let's just stand and just in quietness, listen to God as Pastor Day comes out. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.